lesson this day comes to us near the end of the book of Esther. Before I read the passage, I think it's important for us all to understand a bit more about the context in which this story falls. I love the story of Esther. I'm not sure how many of us spend a lot of time with it. Uh, so, just a refresher, if you will. So, our story takes place in the city of Susa, which is located in modern-day Iran. Esther and the other Jews were living in the time of exile. So, what that means is the Persian Empire had conquered Israel, and in order to keep the Jews down and oppressed, they took from Israel, all the black, all the pretty and popular ones, all the leaders, all the influential Jewish folks who were part of the community, the religious leaders, the political leaders, the rich families, if you will, and they spread them throughout the Persian Empire so with their influence, their concentration, their connection was diminished. So they're living in diaspora, spread out across the Persian Empire, separated from their holy place where they believe God lived, in the hopes that they would be oppressed forever. This included a young, beautiful Jewish girl named Esther, who is the cousin of Mordecai. Mordecai adopted her in order to ensure that she was safe in her new city. Mordecai also, by chance, had rescued the Persian king by informing about plots to kill him. So Mordecai held a certain favor, if you will, in the king's mind. So in our story, the king has divorced his wife, Vashti, because Vashti refused to parade her beauty for all of his court to see. I love Vashti. She said, no, sir, not doing that. This heir of the king, the Lordster, banished Vashti, but he wanted to replace it. And he only valued things that were surface deep. So he had his people search the whole kingdom for the most beautiful maiden to marry. And from his harem, he found Esther. Esther, who up until this point had kept her Jewish heritage a secret. She did not want anyone to know that she was a Jew. But quickly, the plot thickens. Because <laughs> Enter the big villain, Haman. Haman was the chief, the king's chief advisor and the worst kind of anti-Semite. Haman convinces the king to carry out genocide against the Jews in his kingdom. And he does this because Mordecai, remember Mordecai, the one who saved the king, will not show Haman, the chief advisor, the respect that he feels he deserves. When the king approves of the genocide, Mordecai dresses in sackcloth and goes to the palace gate to wail and lament, Why have you done this to us? And then Mordecai sends word to his cousin, to the king's new bride, the beautiful, young, 
urging her to seek an audience with the king, saying, Perhaps after you have come to royal dignity, just such a time as this. For just such a time as this. Esther knows that to seek out the king and demand an audience could end in her death. You do not go to see the king unless you are beckoned. So to prepare for this confrontation, Esther urges all of the Jews to fast with her in preparation. And then she bravely goes into the king's banquet uninvited, fearful, uncertain of what will happen. But the king is delighted to parade his beautiful Esther in front of everyone. And he grants her pardon for the interruption and then promises her to grant her any petition that she wants. And this is where our story picks up today. So let us listen together for God's word speaking to us from Esther chapter 7, verses 1 through 10, and then later on in chapter 9, verses 20 through 22. So the king and Haman went into peace with King Esther. On the second day, as they were drinking wine, the king again said to Esther, What is your petition, Queen Esther? It shall be granted to you, and what is your request? Even to half of my kingdom it shall be fulfilled. Then Queen Esther answered, And I have won your favor, O king. And if it pleases the king, let my life be given me. That is my petition, and the lives of my people, that is my request. For we have been sold, I and my people, to be destroyed, to be killed, and to be annihilated. If we had been nearly sold as slaves, men and women, I would have held my peace. But no enemy can compensate for the damage to the king. Then the king said to Queen Esther, Who is he? And where is he? Who has presumed to do this? And Esther said, A foe and an enemy. This wicked Haman. Then Haman was terrified before the king and the queen. The king rose from the feast in wrath and went into the palace garden. But Haman stayed to beg his life from Queen Esther, for he saw that the king was determined to destroy him. When the king returned from the palace garden to the banquet hall, Haman had thrown himself on the couch where Esther was reclining, and the king said, Will he even assault the queen in my presence, in my own house? As the words left the mouth of the king, they covered in his face. Then one of the eunuchs in attendance, I love this eunuch. Then one of the eunuchs in attendance on the king said, Look, the very gallows that Haman has prepared for Mordecai, whose word saved the king, stands at Haman's house, fifty cubits high. 
And the king said, Hang him on it. So they hanged Haman on the gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai. Then the anger of the king abated. And later, in chapter 9, Mordecai reported these things and sent letters to all the Jews who were in all the provinces of the king, both near and far, enjoining them that they should keep the 14th day of the month of dark, and also the 15th day of the same month, year by year, as the day on which the Jews came relief from their enemies, as the month that had been turned for them from sorrow into gladness, from mourning into a holiday, that they should make them days of feasting and gladness, days for sending gifts of food to one another, and presents to the poor. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, friends, in the scope of Scripture, Esther is this strange and wonderful little book. If you think about it, it is pretty unusual for a book of the Bible to honor a woman. Ruth and Esther managed to have books named after But both women in the Bible are named. The woman of the the hemorrhaging woman. The list can go on and on. But here, here we have one book looking at the actions of one woman. And we see the beginning of a Jewish holiday. Purim. You know it? Purim is one of the most joyous and fun holidays on the Jewish calendar. Living in Shaker Heights, I often get invited to tour parties with all of my friends at the Paragon Temple, and they are a blast. Love them. Some in North America in Gold actually call for a Jewish party ground. Here in Esther, we see the beginning of Forum, right there in chapter 9. Forum is an annual festival celebrating the Jews' relief from persecution and vulnerability. It celebrates a heroic action of a beautiful young Jewish girl named Esther. It's unusual enough that a book of the Bible bears the name of a woman. But it's even more unusual that this same book from the Holy Scriptures never mentions the name of God. If you read the book, from beginning to end, there is not a mention of God. Many scholars know, not only know the absence of God's name, but also any reference to prayer or to keeping the laws and most other practices associated with observant Jewish life. It does mention fasting, which is a form of prayer. But there are no spoken prayers of God to God for it. There's no moment of asking for guidance or divine intervention anywhere in the story. Just Esther, doing what she thinks is right. And Mordecai, calling her to take on a big risk that grown men are 
how then did this extraordinary book end up in our Bible? I think this almost certainly is the fact that it celebrates one person's loyalty to her people, Esther's loyalty to her people, even to the point of risking her own life to save them. This book celebrates a normal person's ability to have an extraordinary impact upon her world. But her contribution was not for her own sake. It wasn't about saving her own life, but rather for the sake of her community. You see, genocide had been declared. The Jews' existence was in mortal peril. Unlike other situations in Scripture where God intervenes in Scripture to save God's people, here we see that deliverance of the Jewish people is not accomplished through amazing, miraculous events. The sea does not split, man does not rain down heaven, a pillar of fire that will guide them to the wilderness. Salvation comes flawed actions of human beings who were probably never sure they were giving the right thing, who were scared, fearful, intimidated, nervous. All of this, this whole story of being just feels of other worlds, so very far away from us, but in many ways, I can see Esther's story in our lives every day. We too live in the midst of empire. Empire might be defined differently today than it was at this time in human history. But for centuries, Christendom, or the collective culture created by Christian power throughout the world, has given us Christians. A sense of place, if you will. The world around us predominantly reflects our values, our customs, our traditions. But more and more, we are seeing that begin to fade. As different influences, multinational corporations have begun to take a stronger hand in shaping the culture around us. We now find ourselves sharing the ancient Jewish theme of present and To remain faithful people in the midst of values and pressure that are foreign to us, to who we are as followers of Christ. Those who are taught to love our to turn the other cheek, and to lay down our lives for the sake of the gospel. Like Esther, there are times when we are called to muster the courage to stand, not for ourselves, but for others. We too are called at times to take risks. I used to really love the television show that I love it, like I said. During the pandemic, when we were all in lockdown, I was thrilled to get to watch it again with my kids through fresh eyes because they were so bored 
that they would actually sit on the couch and binge watch it with me. As I'm sure you know, Lee followed a group of high school students and their teachers who were trying to be faithful to who they are, to discover who they are and grow into that and embrace it by joining a Lee club, a musical group who sing and dance all of their emotions out for everybody to I know it sounds like small tales, right? But for one of these kids in particular, there's a huge risk socially. Then, the quarterback of the football team was strong and handsome and popular, or that's how they wrote him on the show. But he was deeply unhappy and trying to come to terms with the joy he feels in singing, as opposed to the rough group that he was on the football field. The others in the Greek club are wonderful. But let's be honest, they were social outcasts by every other standard in school. They are the misfits. But then, was the pretty and popular one, the one that the curtains were taken away from Israel. But near the end of the first episode, Finn has bowed to popular opinion and he quit the Greek club. And to celebrate his recommitment to the football team, all the players have trapped a wheelchair-bound member of the kids' club in an overly full court And they are rocking it back and forth with the attention of flipping it over. At that moment, Finn, who's pretending because of a recognizes who he is and who he is called to be, and Finn takes a huge risk. Or what is a huge risk for him and for any He stands up to his peers. And instead of allowing peer pressure to dictate his next step and flip the porta potty, he unlocks the door and rescues his friend. And by his actions, he sacrifices his own safety for the sake of someone else. Again, I know it's uh, trivial when compared to Esther and genocide, right? It's small details. But I think it highlights a wonderfully flawed character who takes the stand, even though he isn't sure of the outcome. Finn takes the stand, even though he doesn't know how it's going to turn out. He can predict, but he isn't sure. Compared to Esther, it is small. But small doesn't mean it's unimportant. Let me say that again. Small doesn't mean it's unimportant. The example that you set can make a huge change in someone's life. Is not It's not always easy to do the things that we are called to do. It's not always easy to know how to be the instrument of justice and peace and love and reconciliation. We don't always know the right answer. 
We don't always hear God or God saying, this way, this is the right thing. And sometimes we do. Everything that we know is lined up against it. And we're not always confident that we are the ones who are called to act in any given situation. Do I really have the gift to stand up here? Am I really the best person to stand up and say no? Is it really my job to stop that fortified drop? Is it really my responsibility to fill in the blank? Some scholars in tradition assert that Esther became clean just to fulfill God's purpose. That's all conjecture. That's all hindsight. I would guarantee that Esther did not know that. Esther was not in her house, fasting and preparing to go confront the king, believing that God has my back. I am in this place for a purpose. Esther was terrified, knowing that she could lose her life at any minute. In most cases, we do not have the luxury of that knowledge. We don't have the luxury of knowing that our actions are fulfilling God's intent for creation. But even so, we are called to act. We are called to act, guided by love for ourselves and for others. We are called to act with profound hope that we are participating in God's vision for creation. And with the assurance that God is present in every place. Today we install another member of our church and her role as elder. A visible reminder for all of us that we, each of us, have a part to play in God's vision for the world. For such a time as this. For such a time as this, Emily and the other elders and deacons have been called to wrestle with God's Spirit, to discern who God is calling us to be, where God is calling us to go, and how God is calling us to be agents of peace, justice, and reconciliation. We celebrate today that a new interim has been hired and serve here among you. And together with the elders and deacons, that interval guide this congregation as you open yourselves up to the power of the Holy Spirit to dream about who you are called to be, how you are called to live as disciples of Jesus Christ together to show forth God's love in the world we live every day. There is so much such a time as this, you have been called to be here. To be in this place. 
Thank you. 